Welcome to Horse Talk with Doc Yardley and Doc Timko. This week we are coming back to you with part two of EPM treatment. We've got some great questions we're going to answer live. Again, this is uh, our opinions, our opinions alone. These are not supported by the Ohio State. So the first question, I'm going to throw some softballs out there to start. Uh, Jeannie asked a question. We're not answering her right away. But Cindy asked a question. Um, is there a vaccine for this disease? There currently is no labeled vaccine. So at one point there was a vaccine under conditioned label um, that was utilized. However, it proved it didn't prove to be as efficacious as everyone wanted. So it was eventually taken off the market and is no longer available. And that vaccine was actually originated at the Ohio State, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yep. yeah, Ohio State were pretty good with our. Uh, vaccines over or with our EPM studies but uh, yeah the vaccine was uh, not very useful um, and any parasite it's a parasite it's not a bacteria so it's really hard um, to even come up with a vaccine for a parasite we've been uh, malaria is a blood-borne parasite and there is not a very good vaccine for malaria the most current vaccine in the market for malaria is only in the 30% efficacious um, of that and in some trials, 70%. So not super high, so it's hard. And they've been fighting malaria for years, and there's way more money put into malaria. So the likelihood of us getting an EPM vaccine that's not coming out. So prevention, diagnosis, and treatment is gonna be key. Uh, Cindy goes on to ask, um, if one horse on the farm is positive, has EPM, will the other horses get it? It's really unlikely that we see these horses as like an outbreak scenario. So you might think that, you know, based on one horse having it, they've potentially also been exposed to it um, on the property. But kind of how we talked about last time, there's a lot of things that we don't necessarily know about EPM and how and why certain horses become infected and it involves their um, neurologic system and others don't seem to to be affected so it kind of goes back to the horse's immune response and some of those aspects that we don't fully understand but very very rarely will we see multiple horses on a property at the same time having clinical signs and the one horse that has it he he's not going to shed it he's a dead-end host so he's not going to give it to you so it's not like influenza or covid you're not going to pass it along to your friend that's going to stay with that horse individually. Now the possum, like we said before, he'll shed it to everybody. So if you have a lot of possums, you might, like Dr. Timko said, see a quote-unquote outbreak, but it's the possum who's pooping everywhere. All right, and the last question before we go in, this is the genie. She wrote us um, She wrote us a real dinger here, and uh, we had to do... We had to do some research, to be honest, because this is a very tough question, and we get this question a lot. So Jeannie wrote, my gelding has had a blood test for EPM. His combined SAG-234 titer on serum was 1 to 2,000. So now I'm wondering if all the meds he has been given was a waste or what the next step should be. And Jeannie says she looks forward to hearing from our answer. And... Uh, Jeannie, this is going to be a tough question here, right? Um, Dr. Timko and I have been pulled every paper we could to try to answer this question in the highest scientific way possible, but also keep it simple because we had to dive into uh, statistics of sensitivity and specificity and cutoff values, and uh, you know it gets gets a little crazy. So I'm going to let Dr. Timko try to answer the question to start and see if we can and get it answered. So. Uh, this is going to be our best attempt at that. 
Yeah, so those cutoff values, we have a variety. So some read less than 500, and then you can read all the way up to one to, to 4,000. So the 2,000 mark is um, a little bit tricky because we do have a high percentage of horses that do have confirmed EPM that have that titer. We also have a good percentage of horses that have that titer and have been exposed but don't necessarily have the disease. 48% could we say? So the, yeah, the sensitivity of the one to 2,000 ratio is gonna be 52% for that. So about 50% of the time we catch those horses that have EPM, but we are missing a portion of those horses that could have EPM, but don't have that high of a titer potentially in the yeah. peripheral bloodstream, but may have a really high titer in the CSF. So just because they have a low titer, and this doesn't answer Jeannie's question, but just because they have a low titer doesn't mean they don't have EPM, right. which is super important because I think a lot of people will do blood work, and I've had some cases where the, the horse looked like it was neuro, it was an old horse, and its titer was like 1 to 200. Mm -hmm. I did the spinal tap, and the the ratio was, oh my God, this horse is screaming EPM. And uh, I, if you just use blood work alone, I would have missed that horse, and the horse mm -hmm. probably would have died. I have had other horses um, down in uh, you know in the countryside where we did a spinal tap, and uh, you know her her blood titer was one to two thousand, and I was like, yeah, this horse is gonna be positive. I did a spinal tap, and it was negative. The horse has just been exposed its entire life because it lives outside in in the wooded area. So yeah, it is it is tough. Um, what about the specificity though? So if you're like you don't you're wanting to maybe treat the horse but not do the spinal tap like can we say so we're gonna miss a lot of horses 48 percent of them don't have this titer the 52 percent that do have this titer that are positive how accurate is that test going to be the specificity at that cutoff is about 75 percent so there is a <clears throat> a fairly good likelihood sorry excuse me <clears throat> that a horse with that high of a titer could very well have EPM, but without that, that CSF ratio in comparison, um, we're not able to be as accurate as, in yeah. that definition. So you could be treating, 25% of the horses might not have EPM mm -hmm. based it's on that. A fairly expensive treatment yeah. for your horse potentially not having the disease. Very expensive treatment. So we, and Jeannie, thanks for the question. Uh, ask more um, uh, harder ones, maybe, uh, if you could. No, but it, it's been good. And in, in, in that study where we pulled that data, the discussion, the paper goes on to say how the spinal CFS to blood to CFS ratio is in the 90s mm -hmm. or 95%. So if you want a real diagnosis, and I like diagnoses, I don't like to guess. I, 5%, yeah, okay. 25% wrong, that's not me. You know, I'm not a C student, I'm an A student. So I want to be 100% accurate before we spend your money. And not, not just the money aspect too, we might be missing the accurate diagnosis. So even more important, you know, we might suspect that this horse has EPM, be spending one to two months of time trying to treat EPM. And if it's not, we've missed the real diagnosis and have missed some valuable time to treat that. Yeah, that's a great point. Because when I go back and look at the, at the, um, at the figure that was where this data came from, so these one to 2,000 horses, tighter ratios in this original study by Steve Reed, uh, horses had wobblers, 
um, a fair percent of them had wobblers and a fair percent of them um, had some other neurologic disease that didn't diagnose maybe West Nile maybe polyneuritis equi I, I don't know they don't even know what the horse had so and they were normal horses so you know it it, it is if you miss the diagnosis of wobblers you're way behind the eight ball and that is a hard disease to treat and epm medicine is not going to treat that and you've just wasted a lot of money and the horse could be in pain for or neurologic for unknown reasons and your hopes could be smashed because you could say oh, we're going to treat this horse and no it has wobblers and wobblers is when the neck is instable and is pinching the spinal cord it looks like epm usually in younger horses, but old uh, old warm bloods, old quarter horses with get uh, arthritis in their neck too, and they'll present like this too. Um, so you always have to x-ray the necks in these horses. That's another conversation. Okay, so let's talk about how to treat these horses. Uh, I've been in practice for over 16 years, and I have seen these horses treated so many different ways. I mean, hell, I mean, maybe they even like give the horse some di diatomaceous earth or something. That that should treat it, right? Some clay will treat these horses. I mean, people do anything to treat these horses. As a scientist and as uh, someone that wants to do what's best for the horse, I, in my practice, will only use or try to only use FDA-approved drugs. I know there's a ton of non-FDA-approved drugs on the market. We'll talk about those. But the, the, just a quick thing, we're going to talk about the FDA. Dr. Timko is going to did a beautiful job. She's going to tell us about the FDA drugs. But just first, to get an FDA drug, you have to show that it is, it's just like anything, stage one, stage two, stage three. So stage one, it works in a test tube. Okay. Stage two trial, it works in another species. Okay. Does this work? And we have that data. And then stage three, does it, is it safe? Or stage two is also, is it safe in the animals at the dosing? So you find a dosing regimen and stage three of a, of a trial will be, does it work clinically? And there's a lot of drugs that don't make it to market. Um, but so if you pass stage three and your safety data is really good, you become FDA approved. On top of that, these, the FDA is looking at how the drug is manufactured. So they're in clean facilities that are upstanding all these codes and laws. There's a lot of compounded drugs out there on the market from these different pharmacies and everything. And that is some scary, excuse my language, shit. Because you can, I could make a compounding pharmacy in my basement in some buckets and no one would really know. And there are cases of these out there uh, do you want to go over the cases first? Do you want to like go over what drugs we should be using? Um, we can go over some of the cases. Cases of bad, bad yeah. things that happen. Okay, so, and in and so down in Florida in 2014, uh, a really good veterinarian who I know personally um, prescribed some tolazeril and promethidine EPM medicine from Wycliffe Pharmacy. All this is uh, uh, all this is in the lawsuit you guys can read about and in the FDA letters. Uh, and uh, what Wycliffe did was they reversed the compound. Um, so they gave no terazoline and a ton of permethridine. The permethridine caused seizures and bone marrow suppression and four horses died. And then again, so you think you'd learn this lesson and you think you'd have your pharmacist like knowing what the hell they were doing. Nope, this happened again in 2019 one horse in Maine died and one horse in Connecticut died from this treatment. Now, here's the thing. As a veterinarian, I have to follow rules and regulations because I'm a licensed practitioner. My insurance will not cover me if I prescribe a non-FDA approved drug. 
So these veterinarians were put out to dry and were sued for killing the horses, even though the pharmacy did it. And in the Wycliffe case in Florida, that pharmacy turned around and sued the veterinarian for prescribing the drug it was a rebuttal lawsuit so this stuff's messy people real messy so as a veterinarian i don't i can you save money using some compounded drugs yes is it illegal yes does my liability insurance cover anything no so i as a veterinarian i'm not going to take that risk and prescribe a non-fda approved drug when we know fda approved drugs work are they cheaper yes well that's because i can get raw compounds from China. I mean, you can order barrels of this stuff. And I've gone online in India where they manufacture. I've gone on Alibaba <laughs> and I've almost ordered this stuff. And you can get 55 gallon drums. Now, supply chain issues, like it's not, <laughs> it might take a while to get here, but we can mix up in my basement. I can sell you all the EPM meds I want and then go out of business. But I'm not an unethical person. So that's, that is a huge issue. Um, that that I think is real. I see people treating with tolazoline, which is Baycox. There's no science to back it up. Yes, it's the right. It is the parent molecule to what's in Marquee, but we don't have any evidence to show that it works. We it, no one's tested it. it just because you think something works doesn't mean it works. People like in the beginning of COVID, everyone thought doxycycline was going to cure you. It inhibited matrix metallic proteases. It did all these things. No, the data shows that doxycycline kills more people. So in the huge studies, when you get all these people with COVID and people that dox that prescribe doxycycline because they because in a test tube looked like it worked, those horses, those horses, those people were more likely to die if you got doxycycline. So just because something in theory works, unless you test it, it doesn't. We can come up with all the theories we want in the world. So I don't know. I, I think and what the point of this podcast is, is to stay truthful and accurate and kind of disseminate truthful information to people. And if you do get compounded meds, ask your veterinarian why. Like, why are you using this compounded medication? What pharmacy it's from? What kind of regulations do they follow? And why do you think this is better than an FDA-approved product? And do you have any evidence to show that it works? That's what I do when I go to the doctor and he wants to put me on a medication or whatever. I'm like, hey, where's the evidence? And if you guys could imagine my primary care doctor maybe it's too much to share is uh, very evidence-based and our appointments take hours because we debate back and forth in the literature what the best thing to do is now i'm not saying that you, it's what you guys should do but i hope that these podcasts are going to educate everyone about it so enough of my rant for now um, i'm going to let uh, dr timko uh, educate us um, about what is fda approved okay i think that's a, a good segue because I mean, sometimes as veterinarians, we do have to use compounded drugs because we don't have FDA approved drugs and labeled drugs for our species. But the great thing about EPM is that we actually have three FDA approved drugs. We very rarely ever get three different options of approved drugs that have been shown to be safe and effective. So for EPM, we actually have three, like I said, one of the more common ones that you've probably heard of is Marquis and the compound or the active drug in that is called panazaril and then there is another drug in that family and that drug is called diclazaril and that one is also fda approved and it is given through a feed through kind of pelleted form labeled as protozil so we have both panazaril and diclazaril those are going to be your marquee and protozil 
And those drugs are anti-coccidiostats. So they have anti-coccidial activity, and they specifically target one part of the organelle of the parasite. So they're really safe in that your horse doesn't have these organelles that this parasite has. So when given at the appropriate dose in these medications, it's going to be really specific for that organism and not really cause many side effects in your horse. It's kind of like a, don't they say it's kind of like a plant part of it or something like yeah, that? I don't understand it. Is yeah. The apicoplast yeah. organelle yeah. of the, of the like, organism. Yeah, it's a really weird part. And your horse doesn't have that part. Thankfully, so. yes. <laughs> um, so it's a pretty targeted treatment for the organism itself. And we've been able to show that within seven days, we can get um, blood and serum and CSF concentrations that are going to be adequate to treat this, this organism. Um, we've also kind of developed some loading doses to get that down to about two days. And if you give Marquis with vegetable oil, there's some studies that that also improves its bioavailability. So these are all proven to be efficacious and get to the areas needed within two days now of treatment. And then the third FDA-approved drug that we have is called Rebalance, and that is a sulfadiazine-pyrimethamine combination. And those two medications, when given together, they act to inhibit folic acid metabolism, and that is necessary for these parasites to survive. However, there are potentially some more side effects with these medications because our mammals also need folic acid. So if given at too high of concentrations or over a prolonged period of time, these ones can have some side effects like bone marrow suppression, anorexia. Um, they should also not be given to pregnant animals since they can cause some um, teratogenic or malformations of the fetus. So that one is one of the older drugs that we've had in the past, one of the first ones that's come out, but it is FDA approved. It's given as an oral suspension, um, and it, it is a little bit cheaper than both the panazarel and the, the protozil, so. I usually treat those horses longer, though, like mm -hmm. a couple months, because I'm not yeah, sure sometimes how, up to six months you yeah, have to treat those ones. With the rebalance, mm -hmm. right, yeah. So Marquis is hard to get nowadays. Um, it's on allocation, and even our pharmacy, we're having a hard time getting it. Um, are you comfortable using um, the diclazarel, the mm -hmm. pellet? Yeah, the pellet is good. Some people prefer that because it's easier for them to just kind of top dress their horse's feed with some pellets and have them eat that. Um, it's been shown to be very efficacious as well. Um, and as far as being efficacious, EPM is a hard disease to treat. So need, none of these, even though they're FDA approved, are going to give you 100% resolution of the disease. And that's not really a fault of the medication. It's just that this is a tricky disease to treat. Yeah, so in the FDA studies, they're usually like in the 60 percentiles, and and, and uh, talking to Steve Reed, who helped design some of these drugs, it sounds like he thinks we're in the 70s now percent. Those those horses, these drugs came out before we had, uh, we were using Western blot technology, which is a, a way to test for, I think, antibodies, right? And mm -hmm. under a microscope, it's weird, it's hard to do. We have much better testing now. So probably, and those, so he thinks those there were horses in the original studies that didn't have EPM that were diagnosed incorrectly. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Bringing those numbers down. Bringing those numbers down. So probably in the 70 percentile. And we can improve a neurologic grade or two with them mm -hmm. usually, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, and some horses, you know, the Diclazoril and the Marquis are going to be labeled for about 28 days, but if we are continuing to see resolution of clinical signs and they're not quite where we want them to be, oftentimes we'll prolong that treatment course. And in the um, Diclazoril, so the alfalfa pellet, which I like because mm -hmm. it's easier for the clients to give, the, you don't have to give a loading dose. So in Marquis, no. you have to give, you almost have to buy five tubes because the first dose is 10 mg per kg, so it's a little more. So if you were to use it for 28 days, you actually need five tubes, mm -hmm. not four tubes in the box. Um, and the diclazoril gets a little better CFS levels. Yeah, I can get in there a little bit faster. You don't need to use the vegetable oil to improve its bioavailability, or we haven't shown that that does, yeah. basically. Um, so that one is also a, a, good, a good option. It, yeah, so ba so yeah, and then there's the people that are using Baycox, Tolazaril, or whatever medication they want. They're using it once a week. Any evidence to show that once a week administration is going to work? There's a little bit of evidence with Marquis and doing some intermittent doses with that that can potentially decrease the risk of recurrence or um, you know development of the disease. However, there's there's limited studies and not specifically with that drug using the FDA approved drugs only. Yeah, and they weren't for treatment, they're for prevention. Right. Yeah. So and there's a study with diclazoril pellets, there's two with their so they showed that like a half dose mm -hmm. a couple times a week, reach steady state levels and but that's all they measured was does the drug get there and then they used a test tube model, does it kill the EPM parasite? Um, but we've never tested it. And the only testing that I could find of a prevention was the foal study, where the foals that were given, I think, half dose of diclazoril, there was the ones that were given it had less positive blood positivity mm -hmm. than the foals that weren't. So maybe there's some prevention in there. Um, those were studied 15 and 16, I think those were published. Uh, so there is some evidence, but these aren't treatments. Right. And I think that's the big difference out there is that veterinarians that are prescribing uh, EPM medicines, FDA or non-FDA approved, and using undocumented treatment protocols once a week, that's not how the steady state is reached. And so steady state means that the, that the drug is in the blood for that amount of time, and it has to stay at that level um, to kill the organism and if it goes back down which it would in one treatment once a week then you're not really doing anything now you're just really wasting your money no matter what drug you're using once a day treatment is just once a week treatment is stupid if you're looking for prevention and you're gonna there are some quote-unquote prevention studies but I'm not sure if we have a ton of proof to show that they work but I, you know if I had a you know to be honest if I had a $100,000 horse and there were other horses diagnosed with EPM and I was getting ready for a big show or something I mean maybe I would do it yeah uh, yeah if I had one that um, has had EPM in the past yeah. we live mm -hmm. in an area where it's pretty prevalent um, maybe has some immune issues yep. and mm -hmm. you're a little bit worried that they are immune immunocompromised yeah. then doing the you know half dose daily diclazoril as a preventative yeah that could be a Effective. So it'll be expensive though. You're looking yes. at uh, $800. So it was one month, so $400 a month. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, that is, that's a lot of Starbucks lattes right there to cut out of my budget uh, to treat my horse. Um, there is another product on the market, Orthokine, um, that has the Diquinic in it mm -hmm. in Levamisol. 
That is from a lab that we talked about the last time in Florida that is measuring some very weird SAG profiles. There is one study that is probably as worthwhile as a tissue um, for how much it can stand a test. It, it is the worst study ever. Uh, they looked at some weird profile SAG numbers and then they said the horses got better with her treatment. Um, I, I think people, if you're looking, if you want to use these products out of Florida, just go on the FDA website. You'll see how many letters of reprimand this lab has against her uh, for marketing these products unimproved. So whatever study she says she's doing, the FDA does not agree with her. Um, and another thing is Levamisol in that product. If you have a show horse or race horse, Levamisol gets metabolized to a cocaine derivative. That's gonna come up positive for a stimulant and you are going away for a while or you're gonna get fined for having cocaine in your horse's bloodstream or cocaine-like stimulants. So uh, yeah, and you know, what's interesting, this is way aside, but this is trivia of trivia, but cocaine in the United States is actually diluted with levamisole hmm. in there because it has a stimulatory effect and then there are people that do the cocaine uh, have bone marrow suppression because levamisole is not super safe. It does has a very small target range. So people use levamisole as immunostimulant uh, and some people use it in EPM treatment, but it causes bone marrow suppression. So these cocaine users come into the hospitals with low white blood cell counts and they're very sick and they've overdosed themselves on levamisole because uh, of their cocaine addiction. So uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, you know, tons of weird facts that my brain has. But uh, yeah, so levamisole can be used, but it will come up as a positive. Uh, so if you are a racehorse, show horse, uh, or getting tested, you will get you will get tested as a stimulant, and the withdrawal is quite long for that. So just be aware um, of that. We um, I don't know anything else that we should uh, cover with this. You think any other? If the listeners have any other questions, we want to keep these podcasts short. We're at 25 minutes, um, and uh, we, you know, we want to kind of keep them short so you guys, uh, if you get tired of us, you can end it and you can ask some more questions. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think that's what we're going to cover. I think the take-home story is yeah, spinal tap is probably necessary if you're less than 2,000. Um, you know, it, you can't make the diagnosis without a spinal tap above one to 2,000, yeah, maybe questionable gray areas, um, and you should probably be treating with an FDA-approved product. I mean, that that's that's end of story. Um, so that's kind of what we have for you guys for EPM. One last thing, can you talk about tail pulls? I got a question, I got a text message, I just got a text message that came in. Tail pull, so they, uh, a client said one other vet pulled the horse's tail, the horse fell over, the horse had EPM. What do you think about that, Dr. Timko? So the tail pull is part of the neurologic exam, but there are also a lot of other aspects to the neurologic exam. And the reason that we do the tail pull is to basically see how weak or strong the horse is. So I shouldn't be able to pull over a 1200 pound horse. If I can pull a 1200 pound horse over by pulling their tail, that tells me that they have weakness in their hind end. And that that's about it. There's a lot of different things that can cause weakness in the hind end and ataxia. And I need to know how how weak they are but it doesn't specifically tell me what what disease that is so we could have weakness in the hind end is the differential is probably a hundred right yes. yeah but we could have equine herpes mm -hmm. that'd be real bad yeah. if we miss that <laughs> diagnosis that's contagious uh you could have polyneuritis equi mm -hmm. you could have motor neuron disease you could have trauma, trauma. west nile yeah. wobblers 
so it's not specific at all. So if your veterinarian pulls your horse's tail and says it has EPM, you should probably find another veterinarian. I'm gonna be honest. I hate to say it, but that's wrong. Um, any good cases you had this week? Not EPM related? <laughs> not EPM related. We've been able to see a few foals this week, so those are always fun to You had a to sick foal yesterday, at. huh? We did, but hopefully on the way to recovery. On here. the way to recovery, yeah. Uh, Dr. Timko had to go see a two-hour, two three-hour-old mm -hmm. foal that couldn't get up and uh, probably uh, mal... What is it? Equine maladjustment syndrome? Is that mm -hmm. the new word? We can't say dummy foal anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's some cool cases. I haven't had anything super cool. It's just been preventative things this week. So um, yeah. Oh, I did see, <laughs> this will be another podcast another time, the fattest Mustang in the world. So she's supposed to be pregnant. She wasn't. I've never seen <laughs> so much fat. Like she looked like a, a, a steer. Like she had <laughs> probably 10 inches of fat um, in her crusty neck. So you know, Mustangs grow grew up in the arid southwest, and they've been they were feeding this horse. It was at a new farm. They were feeding the horse alfalfa, and like some sort of tribute feed. Uh, so they put the horse on on a ration balancer. I'm surprised its feet haven't fallen off from laminitis. Uh, oh my god, I've never seen such a fat horse before in my life. But uh, I have some photos for you. That can be our one of our next talks. Yeah, one of our next talks. <laughs> it, it, it is springtime. Laminitis is right around the corner with uh, some things. Yeah. So, all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, if you like us, share our podcast. Uh, click uh, five stars in the Apple review. Write a review uh, and share the podcast so we can get as much information out there as possible. Thanks again from Dr. Arlene, Dr. Timko. <laughs>